Welcome to the PhD Talk podcast. I'm Eva Lanza, a professor in civil engineering and blogger on the side. And I am Sarah Cameron, PhD student and work in organizational psychology. In this podcast, we talk about PhD research and interview current PhD candidates, as well as those who work closely with them. We hope you'll stick around. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the PG Talk podcast. This is episode 92 in which we'll be speaking about balancing reading and writing. Now, those are things that virtually all of us have going on pretty much all the time, right? We want to keep reading to stay up to date with the literature review and we are typically constantly juggling whether it's reports or proposals or dissertation chapters or papers that need to be written. So there's always this uh, this tension on how to find the time to to spend on both reading and writing. So Sarah, what's your experience with balancing reading and writing so far? Yeah, that's. I mean, it's good for me to pause and reflect on this. I would say, for now, my the way that I've tackled reading and writing has always just been in response to what was kind of required which I don't actually know is the best approach, but that's so far what I've done, that if I know I have a proposal to write, then obviously I need to write it. And to do the literature review, I also need to read what, I don't know, and get a grasp of the that area. Um, something that I'm starting to do more actively is uh, just keeping track of certain uh, researchers or also maybe five or six different journals where I'm keeping track of what is um, coming out. Um, were being published. Um, and I feel like that's something that happens more on a weekly basis that I'm maybe skimming a few articles here or there. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily, with writing, I'm certainly not, I don't feel proactive about it. I think it's always that, okay, well, my supervisor has suggested that I write a grant. Now I need to write the grant. Or, you know, we have uh, a meeting in two weeks. I need to finish the I don't know, discussion section for this paper that I'm writing um, and send it to my colleagues. So I think I could imagine that down the road in my academic career, I will need to be a little bit more proactive about writing because I wouldn't be on kind of the receiving end of tasks or suggestions from my supervisor. But for the stage I'm at right now, uh, my writing at least is much more reactive in nature, I would say. Mm -hmm. Um, How about for you, Ava? Yeah, so for reading, I similar to what you described, I have sort of updates that come in and whether that are the, uh, the Elsevier recommendations or the Google Scholar recommendations and, and other types of recommendations that come in that I usually check out. And then um, combined with that, there's a number of journals that in my field that I sort of always look out for when the new number comes out and then I, I check the, the headlines and see which papers are particularly interesting for me and, and read those. Um, and then when it comes to writing, uh, I would say that I have quite a, of course, I have a, a number of writing projects that are going on at the same time at, at various points. And I do have regular writing habits but I do notice as well that now that I have more researchers that I have the pleasure of supervising, and the, um, 
and I, I do less perhaps of the writing myself, then now it, it has shifted from, from doing a lot of, of my own writing to um, more supervision, more giving comments and feedback. And that still really depends on when something comes to me and then I set aside time for, for, for providing feedback. So that's not something that's like a, a constant stream of, of things that come in, maybe luckily. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And when you were, uh, I guess, how did that sort of stream of writing or your writing habits shift from being a PhD student to being an early career researcher on the tenure track to where you are now? Yeah, that that forces me to 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 spit down in my memory. And um, if I think at my years as a PhD student, I. I did have a, a number of reports that were the deliverables of the projects with regard to just reporting the experiments, reporting the analyses. So there was a lot of writing done in those regards in reporting what we did. So there was sort of a continuous need to write down everything we did. Well, then, not exactly everything, but for example, um, writing a literature re review report, writing the reports that I mentioned with regard to the experiment. So that sort of already put me in a uh, position of of always be working on, on these type of, of documents. So there was a lot of writing involved from, from the beginning as I was tied to the deliverables. Then as a as an early career researcher that shifted more to, of course, writing papers and balancing perhaps the papers that I wanted to write from my PhD research, which um, I wrote most of what I did in my PhD after the PhD in, in papers, um, as well as the new research that I did at the time, as well as topics that I wanted to work on that sort of, uh, the way I tackled it was to look at writing as just a, a list of papers that I want to write and I still use this running list in a, in a very simple um, Google spreadsheet where you sort of a color-coded system to say, okay, these are the ones that, um, that I'm currently working on. This one is in, in review. This one, um, my co-author needs to, to work on this. So this one is kind of paused on my end to have that overview of all the writing projects that I have going on. And I still use that as well now for including the papers that, uh, of which my, my students are, are first authors, where it's much longer in that this is um, uh, not in my hands, but this with somebody else uh, color than, than the ones that, that I write as first author of or as sole author. And do you find then that you're writing more in short bursts now that you're more spending more time supervising? Um, or is it still something that you're doing, what do you say, on a I don't know, daily or weekly basis? I would say on a weekly basis, at least. Um, not really daily anymore. So I used to write, I would say, in the early career uh, years. And I don't know if, if I'm still officially considered early career or if I'm uh, too old for that. Uh, <laughs> but I would say in the, the, the earlier years, I would have one or two hours every day to start my day with something that is related to a paper that I was writing on. Um, nowadays, I have much more meetings and 
they will, since most of them are with people in Europe, they tend to be in those early mornings and they kind of crowd out the time that I have for writing. So I may not have that time every day, but I do try to put it in at least two times a week, three times a week um, to do have that time to either comment on writing or edit somebody's writing or do my own writing. Mm, yeah. And with your own writing, how do you feel like that's progressed uh, over the years? Because I find now when I'm writing, I think it takes just, I enjoy it, but it takes so much time. And I just have to, I pray that it will get more efficient or that I'll get more efficient over time. But I'm curious for you how that's developed. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question because some, some parts like writing a method section or reporting experiments, I think have been become easier for me because it's sort of, I know what, what I need to report from the exact details, such as the geometry of the thing that we tested and, and the, the material properties and, and the reinforcement layout, if it's a, a concrete piece and the, the, the test setup and the size of the loading plate and the, uh, the, the load application and all of that kind of sort of have that list in my head that I know, okay, these are the things I need to go in there and I can pull that together quickly. Um, but when it comes to the introduction, the discussion, perhaps those are the, the parts that are always a little chewier to write. And then um, that always forces me to think of, of why this research, first of all, in general terms, what the research is about, what it contributes to and why people should care about it. And I think knowing that and knowing better what I want to write in, in, the, in the introduction is certainly something that helps to write the introductions, but it still requires time every, every time to, to think through it. And the same with the discussion. I, I know what is expected from the discussion. I know that, um, that it's important to engage with the literature, um, but every time it requires, of course, a little bit chewing on it and see, okay, what what's really, what is there to discuss in, in these results and the analysis of these results. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what, uh, advice would you have in terms of maybe, um, how do I want to phrase this? Yeah, I guess balancing writing kind of on a daily basis versus, uh, and maybe getting a little bit done every day versus really having kind of binge periods where you spend maybe two weeks working on a paper and, um, I don't know, you know, complete a full draft. I think a lot depends on where you are. And for example, during the PhD, it's sort of normal that the end is the, after you have all the data, that the end is the time that is assigned to writing. And then a big chunk of your time will thus be devoted to writing. Mm. Um, but then in the early career years, I think that maybe sort of the thing people struggle with to go from knowing these are the weeks that I have for writing, which if you're teaching and you're preparing teaching material and you have students that come by and you have uh, administrative tasks and leadership tasks and technical committees and uh, review requests and all the things that, that come your way, it's easy to say I never have these three weeks that I need to write this paper and you never get to it. So the challenge there is to find what works for you to, 
still work on your writing and your research and and uh, and, and those things in the midst of the sort of the onslaught of things that that come your way yeah yeah because i mean correct me if i'm wrong but the sort of transition that i see or the progression that i see is that when you're a phd student you have the time generally and kind of freedom to focus just on writing if that's uh the stage of the paper or your thesis that you're at um most phd students certainly at the end even if you're doing a paper-based thesis would have you know weeks months to to write the thesis and that's really all your focus is directed towards then as you say when you shift to the tenure track suddenly you have to still be first author on a number of papers in order to get tenure but you also have all these other responsibilities um and then if you make it through that process then maybe uh, as time goes on you have more phd students and so you're not necessarily the one yourself doing the chunk of the writing but you're more advising uh PhD students or uh, younger professors uh, in, in how to do that writing. And so, yeah, I, I can see that that's a, that middle period would be quite tricky, that transition. Mm -hmm. And it's also why um, in some papers that look at workloads of academics, they, they find that the mid-career is the seems to be the, the the hardest part where people are squeezed. And when we did this research on the impact of COVID nineteen on academic parents, the the ones that had the lowest satisfaction of their time and the largest impact on their research were the associate professors. So there, there we saw that they were as well the, the group that was most squeezed and. We, we didn't have a chance to really figure out why that was. We didn't have any follow-up interviews or, or anything of that. But we, based on what we saw in the literature, we, we speculated that it's just what you mentioned. You have, on the one hand, still a single author or a first author projects going on. You're developing a laboratory or something along those lines with, with more people. And you're navigating maybe transition to more leadership positions. Uh, so it's a time that some people also get department chair uh, things thrown to them and uh, as well the just the, the busy time of life right that many people have uh, younger children and uh, maybe elderly parents and just everything gets together in the mismatch mix match of, of of life and, and it can become a lot for people if you throw a pandemic on top of that <laughs> yeah, just to spice things up. Yeah. Well, I also know from the, I think it's either the well-being or the happiness literature, I think it's well-being, that well-being, there's a valley in midlife. And so that's also often along the time when people are at that associate professor stage. So it's like really everything all at once. I think to add to that, we haven't spoken a lot to developing good writing habits during the PhD. And I think one of the things that that are good to think about is to have uh, good reporting habits, just to to know what you do with what you read and, and know where you're going to describe the, the methods that you use and all those things that makes it easier to write them down in papers later on um, or in a thesis, if that's something that comes at the end. And as well uh, as many things, with the PhD, it's, a, it's also a matter of having clear expectations with the supervisor in terms of what you are expecting in terms of deliverables. And that could be 
reports, if that's the type of project that you're on, or in terms of, of plant papers, of what you are expected to be working on. And also just uh, the more practical aspects, like once you have a draft, what happens to that? If, if you are going to iterate with your supervisor until uh, the supervisor is, is happy, which can be a, a large number of iterations, or if you have a sort of clear set of this is the number of times that we go through it and maybe we look at the structure together first before you you know send me the whole draft and i i have to to start making sense from what maybe a, a spaghetti sauce of, of ideas and uh, uh, to to talk with your supervisor through what would be the steps of, of giving feedback and working on the writing together because you that's also something that you're learning right to write the the papers or the reports and, and to have uh, the, the clear expectations there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's great advice. I know for myself, I find it a bit frustrating writing a paper if there's no, yeah, clear expectations of where we want to be when, that mm -hmm. things can just continue on indefinitely and you can decide to go down this angle and another angle and it will never end. And so uh, I think... That's that's good advice to set some boundaries and expectations before you um, spend months or years working on it. Yeah, and what I usually do with my with my students is that we have generally sort of we look at the structure together and sort of look at which type of figures and topics would go where to already have some uh, uh, some parts of that structure set up. And then what I usually do when we get a first draft, I will read it for general comprehension. I'm not going to add it down to, to, to every word and every typing error and whatnot, but I read it, uh, will typically read it on my tablet and mark it up with a stylus, uh, which is not always that pleasant for my students because my writing is not always that nice. Um, but uh, it helps me to read for general comprehension, overall structure, and to really say, okay, this part would make more sense there, and this goes there, and let's move things around like that. And once we have set, figured that out, then I go to really editing in in words and and you know editing sentences and saying you know this this sentence here needs a rewrite and and those type of uh, deeper level comments or more nitty gritty comments. Yeah. Um, I think that that's also good advice and something that I would, as somebody on the receiving end, mostly now of feedback, I would recommend because it's also, I, th I think, especially if you're in the early stages of writing a paper and still kind of finalizing the structure, um, getting feedback on citation format or how something is phrased, that's way too much detail for somebody to, or at least for me to really take into account at that stage. And so um, I've had to actually give feedback um, to some of my co-authors that like, I, I appreciate this feedback, but just give it to me in three months because right now our draft is not at that stage. And uh, there's other more important things that need to be addressed right now. Um, and I, I have, I mean, I made this analogy to one of my colleagues today. I have the same thing with language learning that you know, when you're learning a language, you make so many, at least I certainly right now with Dutch, I'm making so many mistakes. But if my Dutch teacher corrects me on every single mistake I make in every sentence, 
that's not how I'm going to progress. We need to focus on kind of broader grammatical sentence structure first and then getting into um, you should actually use this adjective instead of the other one. You can't do everything all at once. Yeah, and it reminds me of when we interviewed uh, Dr. Anna Clemens that she also mentioned the typical frustration of PG candidates or, or those who get feedback on their writing is that you may be going through five rounds of various levels of, of back and forth with your supervisor and, and suddenly in the sixth round the supervisor comes and says, you know, I want to throw around the structure completely and, and that, that also made me think like, hmm, yeah. Probably that's the thing that has to go first, and, and it it aligns with what I was already doing in terms of first, you know, reading it through for the general understanding and the overall structure and how everything works together and the, the overall argument and, and how everything fits together, and then go to the smaller details. Um, but it, it was a good reminder to to start with a broader view and then zoom down to the details. Yeah, exactly. Because I think, I mean, otherwise you might spend time perfecting details that uh, where, you know, those paragraphs end up being removed anyways, if you redesign the structure. So yeah, Anna Clements, I think, has a lot of good tips. I also follow her on Twitter and they're good reminders of, of the common pitfalls that we might make in our writing and just general advice also for, um, for supervisors and how to guide their students uh, through that process. Mm-hmm. And then to, yeah, to get back to the, the topic of reading, that's also something that morphs over the years. Um, just as you mentioned in the PhD, it's also normal that the beginning is sort of the, the binge reading period. And then the, the challenge is to sort of keep it upright, to, to, to stay uh, informed about the developments in your field while that reading is not your main task anymore. So we, we already mentioned that there's a number of things that you can do to get reminders from journals on new publications. You have the Google Scholar recommendations that you can sign up for, and you can select on Google Scholar as well authors that you want to follow, that you want to get a, an alert when they publish something new. Um, you can set up RSS feeds with certain uh, keywords that uh, alert you of new publications related to those keywords. And then one of the things that, that, that kind of sounds maybe a little bit weird, but whenever I get a Scopus citation alert or a Google Scholar citation alert, I'm also like curious to see who has worked with my work. And I don't know if that, that sounds yeah. uh, like... Uh, weird but i do always check out those uh, citation alerts as well oh i can I, I can imagine i would definitely be curious too yeah um and do you use twitter ever for um coming across new papers not so much so i do read of course um i i I spend too much time on Twitter probably, um, but <laughs> and I guess what I, I get from there is mostly the uh, more the overall discussion on academia and how we can improve uh, things in terms of whether that's teaching, uh, the academia in itself. Uh, there's a lot of uh, topics related or uh, people on Twitter that I follow that discuss topics of diversity, equity, inclusion in academia that I, I 
uh, I try to follow up with. In my field itself, I, I see more recommendations on LinkedIn of uh, colleagues than I would hmm. say that I see them pass by on Twitter. Hmm. Twitter seems to, for me, gives me more general uh, feeling of teaching practices, planning, uh, juggling things. I as hmm. well follow a lot of other academic parents. So there's the uh, sometimes tips and a lot of commiserating with, uh, uh, with other academic parents. So there's more that general sense of academic community rather than the people that work with concrete structures, for example. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it, it does also depend per field where and if the hot new mm-hmm. papers are being are being discussed. Mm-hmm. And in terms of setting aside time, um, I've tried various things. I, I remember that when I was more in the early career stage that I had one or two blocks of time on my calendar every week to read. Um, now it's more when when those alerts come in and I, I will sort of deal with those in time that I have set aside for, for research. Um, and a lot of it are periodic binges, I would say as well. When I'm starting a new topic, then there is a binge reading involved with the beginning of the project. So I guess that the it's it's a bit of a, an ebb and flow of reading that that mm. goes there. Yeah, yeah, that that makes sense. And how are you dealing with the reading now that you you already mentioned that you as well have uh, uh, a few papers that you skim per week? Um, is there an expectation that when you write, for example, introduction or literature review of a paper, that you will refresh some of the searches that you did before or you just try to keep up with with what is coming out in your field yeah it's not something I've really thought about too intentionally but I still have the sense that I I don't know just innately because of I don't know curiosity I'm managed to keep up to date I think uh, obviously when I'm working on a paper or on the grant proposal there's I mean just you need to read in order to be able to figure out what to research and argue for why you're going to research what you are proposing. Um, but then, you know, between those writing projects, I think um, also going to conferences has been helpful because then you hear people talking about work uh, that you think is interesting. And I, you know, I think from coming back from every conference, I would have a list of papers that I wanted to then go and read. And um, I would try generally to start my day with I also my my iPad and um, my coffee and just reading a paper or two and um, mm-hmm. that's a good kind of rhythm for me to make sure that I'm kind of staying on top of things also because the research in my PhD is quite different from what I focused on in my master's so there's a lot of kind of base emotions theory literature that I wasn't familiar with at all so uh, I'm still only skimming the surface of that um, and then I think also being on Twitter for me is a uh, points me in the direction of a lot of new papers that I wouldn't uh, necessarily have come across because either they're published in journals that uh, I don't read as intensely, um, or uh, yeah, they're they're very new, and so um, I'm not familiar with the authors. Um, so I think Twitter has been a good resource for me to kind of find these more undiscovered papers. 
So this has been episode 92 of the PhD Talk podcast in which we talked about balancing reading and writing. Um, we talked about staying up to date with the literature review, tips for writing regularly. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and we'll be back next week with more PhD Life and Research Mechanics. Thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm.